Father, this morning as we quiet ourselves, as we come together as a church family to look at your call to us, as we begin this couple of Sundays talking about mission and vision. And I know how it was when I was in the corporate world. We talked about mission and vision at the beginning of every year. And to me, it just sounded like blah, 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 blah. But your call, your mission to us is of eternal significance. Your call to us is one of love. And may we see that, may we experience that this morning, the the love of Jesus in real and tangible and concrete ways as we open up your word, as we gather around as a church family together, may we share the love of Jesus one to another. May we be moved powerfully this morning by, by our time together as a family. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So, This morning, as well as next week, we're going to take this first week and then second week in in January to talk about our mission, our vision, our call as a church. And we started this actually last year. I want to make this a set piece for us at the beginning of each and every new year as we we spend time, as we camp out on, on God's call to us as a church family. And I've used this illustration before, but I'm going to pull it back out because I think it works well here. A couple of years ago, I watched this documentary, and it started with this guy, and he was probably 30 or so, but he was a fully grown adult, and literally he is crying, throwing a temper tantrum, begging his mom to tell him where she had hidden his drugs. And as they told this guy's backstory, he had been a successful business guy. Like I think like he'd been a stockbroker. So, so a high capacity kind of person. He had a, a very put together life, but through his job, he'd gotten into the party scene. He developed a drug habit and for a while he was in control of his habit. But as can easily happen, pretty soon his habit had control of him. He lost everything, his job, his family, his house. And this is where this documentary began, showing him living with his mom, this this once high capacity adult throwing a temper tantrum because she had hidden his drugs as a way to try to get him to quit his habit. And this documentary was all about this guy's journey. This guy had tried to quit his habit before by conventional means, but he always found himself relapsing. So this guy found a treatment center in Mexico that that offers a treatment that's not even legal in the U.S. You fly into Mexico, you check into, into this facility, and they have you drink this psychedelic cocktail, and it knocks you out for a couple of days. You have crazy visions, and when you wake up two or three days later, you are completely clean. And so this documentary was all about this guy's journey to this rehab center, his time there. And as part of the documentary, they actually interviewed other people who had undergone this same treatment, had drank this cocktail with exactly the same results. 
As soon as they came up out of those two or three days, their craving for their drug of choice was gone and it cut down on withdrawal symptoms. It it, it cut down on on the timeline for withdrawal. And so this guy goes through all of this, through this entire process, drinks the cocktail, has crazy visions that he's being chased by animals. He's talking to himself in his sleep, but once it's all said and done, he goes home and he is absolutely clean and sober. But then the documentary crew goes back to his house about a year later, and guess what they find? He's back in his mom's living room crying because she had hidden his drugs. He was right back into that same old pattern and it just wasn't this guy. As part of the documentary to the other folks that had undergone this same process, as they went back to revisit them, they found over and over again that that these people were either back on drugs, in jail, or dead. And when they asked the question, what happened? The answer was always the same. They said, you were sober, you were clean, what happened? And the answer was, I came home and I was clean, but but I had the same network of friends. I went to the same parties. I still thought the same way. And before long, I was back into my old habits. Even though they had come home clean, their bodies no longer craved drugs. What did not change was the roadmap in their heads. And because the roadmap did not change, the destination did not change. They went right back to using. And while not the most elegant illustration for Mannheim BIC's mission, do you know that we all have roadmaps in our heads? Whether you realize it or not, you keep a roadmap, a perspective, a way of navigating the world, a roadmap that tells you this is how life works. The dude in the documentary, his his roadmap to, to how life works took him to the party scene. For some of us, the roadmap in our heads to how life works orbits around making lots of money. For some of us, the roadmap that we keep in our heads orbits around investing everything into our families. Every single one of us in this room keeps a roadmap in our heads by which we navigate life. Here at Mannheim BIC, we have spent the last 12 weeks or so looking at a roadmap. The roadmap that Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount, his roadmap to the way that life works, his roadmap to the good life, his roadmap to the beautiful life. Every single one of our conversations coming out of this Sermon on the Mount was a roadmap conversation. Do you realize that? And so not only do do each of us individually maintain a roadmap the same thing holds true when groups of people come together. And that's where mission and vision come in. Really, our mission and vision as a church provide for us a roadmap for our life together, for how we as as a church family pursue this God who who first pursues us with a mind-blowing love. And if again I can refer back to the Sermon on the Mount, our mission and vision give us a roadmap to what a beautiful life can look like for us together if we get the roadmap right.
if we get the roadmap correct. Because like that story from that documentary, it is possible to, to get the roadmap wrong. And for that reason, it's, ex- it's exceptionally important for us to, to get the roadmap right. Not only for you as an individual, but for us as a church. That's why mission and vision are so important. That's why our mission and vision as a church are so very important. Because as a church, we can screw up our roadmap unless we realize that we've already had a roadmap that's been given to us. As a pastor here, I don't get to conjure up the roadmap. Our leadership board as our governing board doesn't get to dream up the roadmap. You as, as a Mannheim BIC church family member don't get to make up the roadmap. We've got a roadmap already that's been given to us by Jesus himself. It's our mission and it's found in Matthew 28 and Acts chapter 1. And here's what it says. This is the Matthew 28 version. But we call this thing the great co-mission. It's Christ's assignment, Christ's mission to you and I. And here it is. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You and I have made these verses about telling others about Christ. And that's definitely there, right? That's actually in that part, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. If you remember back to last year, our conversation coming out of the book of Acts, people got baptized pretty much right away once they decided to follow Jesus. And so telling others about Jesus is tied into that that baptizing phrase that we see here. But Bible scholars tell us that that the kicker in these verses is is making disciples. Or as you are going, because we are always on the go. So as you go to your job, to your school, as you're chatting with your neighbors, as you're hanging out with your family, as you are going to the other side of the world, because you are always on the go, make disciples. Disciples. These verses even give us a definition for what Jesus means by disciple. It's those who obey all the commands that I, Jesus, have given you. And so according to this definition, a disciple is not someone who says a prayer and gets into the club safe from eternal punishment, but then goes on their merry way doing life on their own terms. A disciple is someone who is more and more finding joy. Again, referring back to our Sermon on the Mount series, someone who is finding life to be beautiful as they obey everything, all that Jesus commands. And so that that roadmap, that, that mission that Jesus gives us in Matthew 28 is what we have taken to be our mission, our roadmap as a church. Our capture of of, of Christ's mission to us from, from Matthew 28 is this. This is our MBIC mission statement. It is to initiate and nurture a growing relationship with Christ. And it's inviting people to be a disciple of Jesus. It's making disciples. 
It's developing disciples, it's growing disciples that has to drive all that we do, all that we are. This is our overarching call as a church. And so what does answering that call, what does buying into this roadmap, what does that practically look like for us? Well, I think we get a picture of that happening in the early chapters of the book of Acts. Jesus gives that, that, that same mission to his followers in Acts chapter one and then the Holy Spirit falls on his followers to empower them, to enable them in Acts chapter two and it's in Acts chapter two that these followers of Christ begin to step into their mission. And as these earliest followers of Jesus begin to organize their life together around this mission, here's what, what their, this mission of making disciples, here's what their life looks like. This is Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. If you come out to our Mannheim BIC membership class, we, we start the class by, by reading out of this book. This is a book that staff has read together. This is a book that leadership board has read twice and it's from a pastor in Texas, and, and we're not trying to be his church. However, he writes to ask the question, what does it look like for your church in everything that you do to be centered on Jesus? And that makes this book super informative for us here at Mannheim BIC. But referring to, to the passage that we just read, here's what the author writes. Yes, they clearly repented and believed as individuals, but the scriptures immediately begin to talk of them as a group. They devoted themselves to teaching. All came on every soul on the whole gathering. All who believed came together sharing all things in common. They attended the temple church together. They shared meals together. That's because the good news of Jesus creates not just people individually, but a people collectively. The good news isn't just individual and cosmic, it is also deeply corporate. With their individual gifts, resources, and levels of faith, these early believers built one another up into maturity. They encouraged one another, blessed one another, rebuked one another, disciplined one another, outdid one another in showing honor, taught one another, and trained one another in the gospel. All over the ancient world, churches were planted in in an eerily similar way, 
repeatedly in Acts, the growth of the church is attributed to the fact that the word of God spread and prevailed. Acts 6, Acts 13, Acts 19. The church became the picture of what life should look like when a group of people submit with gladness to how God designed the universe to work. By carefully watching what happens in Acts 2 and beyond, we see God's plan to reconcile all things to himself individually and cosmically through his son and through a people, the church. And so in our membership class, I read that part. And then I just want to add to that. The church right now has the power of the Holy Spirit and the made real manifest grace of Christ, having been set free from guilt and shame. So no longer should the fear of rejection and God's vengeance be the motivating factors in our pursuit of holiness but rather the delight of being loved and pursued and saved by a gracious father. Like children whose father delights in them, we can run to our father knowing that nothing can separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus. We can approach his throne with confidence, not confidence in ourselves, but in Christ. A church is alive and full when she is sustained by the sacrifice and the resurrection and the love of Christ and is drawn back to that precious reality again and again every time that she gathers. I got to tell you that it's that last line that sticks with me. A church is alive and full when she is sustained again and again by the sacrifice and resurrection and love of Christ. Because really, every time that we get together, that is my MO. I try to draw us back to Christ's sacrifice and love every time that we are, are in this space. Every time that I am up here, because we can't forget this Right, the, the, the kind of life, the, this kind of radical obedience that we see in, in the early chapters of the book of Acts. Where the, the followers of Jesus organize their very lives around this mission is driven by an intimate, firsthand, close, real-time knowledge of just how radically Jesus loves them. Last year when we had this same conversation, I used this quote, and this quote is so important that I'm gonna bring it back again. It's a quote from a guy whose name is Neil Cole, and here's what he says. Ultimately, each church will be evaluated by only one thing, its disciples. Your church is only good as its disciples. It does not matter. It does not matter how good your praise and preaching programs or property are. If your disciples are passive, needy, consumerist, and not moving in the direction of radical obedience, your church is not good. Do we understand that? Your church is not good. I said this last year, 
that quote haunts me. That quote haunts me in my own life, but that quote, quote haunts me in our life together as a church. Are we as a church more and more and more moving in the direction of radical obedience? Man, I hope the answer to that question is yes. And here's where we make this personal because some of you are thinking, Brian, all this church stuff, what does this have to do with me? Well, since you are the church, are you more and more and more moving in the direction of radical obedience in your life? And that sounds heavy, and it is, that, that idea of radical obedience. And I try to tell this to you as often as I can, that the most basic call of Jesus to you in your life is come and die. That's got heavy, far-reaching implications. Come and die literally means surrendering all that you are, all that you do, your hopes and your dreams. Jesus is inviting you to surrender all of you to him. The bigness of that that ask, right? The far-reaching implications of that ask, that, that claim for radical obedience can be scary. But I was reading an author recently And he was talking about a guy who was wrestling with this kind of obedience. And he was coming to a fork in the road in his own life. And having to decide what kind of roadmap was he going to buy into. A roadmap that was chasing upward mobility at its core. Or a very different roadmap that was chasing Christ at its core. And in describing this guy's decision, here's what the author wrote about that decision. He suddenly realized how loved he was by God. He understood how precious he was to God. He knew that without a doubt that although he was a sinner, he was loved in a way that he he could not even begin to fathom. His fear-filled approach to God changed into awe and wonder at the depths of God's mercy and love. Check this out. He didn't want to sin because he didn't want to be apart from that love. He realized it's not hard to obey when we love the one that we obey. And I think that's a key for us as a church. For you in your own life this morning, as we talk about roadmaps, as we talk about mission and vision, as we talk about discipleship, as we talk about radical obedience, the key to all of this is beginning to understand that we, that you are loved by God in a way that you can't even begin to fathom. That awe and wonder, and those are the right words, those are the right reactions to the depths of God's mercy and love for you. And as you open yourself to that love, as you find ways to step toward the love of Jesus, you'll find that your life is shaped more and more and more by this one who so radically loves you. And so radical obedience Discipleship, to use the disciple word coming out of Matthew 28. Growing in your relationship with Christ, to use the words coming out of our MBIC mission statement. 
This way of life is only possible to you if you know, if you're beginning to wrap your head around just how deeply, how radically Jesus loves you. So, so that Christ's love has to be the starting point for our roadmap, for your roadmap. And so while these are good questions, and if I can have those questions back, Stan, are we as a church moving in the direction of radical obedience? Are you moving in the direction of radical obedience in your life? While those are, are good questions, here's an even better set of questions. How are we as a church moving deeper into the radical love of Jesus? How are you personally moving deeper into the radical love of Jesus in your life? Only you can answer that second question. I can't answer that for you. And we're gonna have more on this next week. I'll invite our team to come back. We're gonna have more on this next week. But here's the thing. Get this part right. Get that second part right and discipleship, a growing relationship with Christ will be your roadmap's destination. 